this is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Podcast. With the GOP's purging of Liz Cheney over her refusal to accept Trump's big lie now a reality, the party of Lincoln has become a party of QAnon and conspiracy. In the days following Cheney's expulsion, there's been non-stop chatter about the future, or lack thereof, for the Republican Party as anything beyond a quorum of crazies. In what can only be called an attempt to gaslight the American public, these Republicans claim Trump supporters were the real victims on that day, that no, there was not an insurrection, don't believe your lying eyes, and that the rioters were just normal tourists. The truth is being censored and covered up. As a result, the DOJ is harassing harassing peaceful patriots across the country. It was Trump supporters who lost their lives that day, uh, not Trump supporters who were taking the lives of others. Let me be clear. There was no insurrection, and to call it an insurrection, in my opinion, is a bold-faced lie. You know, if you didn't know the TV footage was a video from January the 6th, you would actually think it was a normal tourist visit. Proving this point was Marjorie Taylor Greene, who went absolutely fucking berserk on Wednesday just after the vote to purge Cheney was complete with an absolutely bizarre and aggressive confrontation of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. After House votes, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez walked out of the chamber very calmly, quietly, uh, and chasing after her was Congresswoman Taylor Greene, who falsely accused her of supporting terrorists. Uh, and we witnessed this, my, my colleague Mariana and I, um, we witnessed her shouting, hey, Alexandria, twice over in an effort to get her attention in a very aggressive and confrontational tone. Ocasio-Cortez ignored her. She didn't stop walking. Green then picked up her pace and, you know, chased her down. Green tried to confront the congresswoman outside the House chamber Wednesday, at first trying but failing to catch Ocasio-Cortez's attention by yelling, hey, Alexandria. When she was ignored, Green reportedly pursued AOC and started screaming about Antifa and Black Lives Matter. And I quote, You don't care about the American people, Green reportedly shouted. Why do you support terrorists and Antifa? I've just frankly had enough with these marauding goons in the Marjorie Taylor Greene crowd who go around you know, trying to terrorize my colleagues. Green also shouted that Ocasio-Cortez was failing to defend her radical socialist beliefs by declining to publicly debate the freshman from Georgia. According to the Washington Post, AOC's only reaction was to throw up her hands in an exasperated motion at one point. But I think what this is is trolling by Marjorie Taylor Greene. This is a freshman congresswoman who is not on committees anymore. She's a backbencher in the minority party, and she is trying to punch up for attention by trying to engage in debates with Democratic members who get the attention that she seeks. In a later statement, Ocasio-Cortez's office urged congressional leadership to take steps to help make Capitol Hill a safe civil place for all members and staff. There's nothing wrong with me pushing things out there, asking questions, pushing for debate. That's exactly what I should be doing to represent my district. Green has a history of creepy behavior in Washington. In 2019, she famously stalked and accosted then 17-year-old David Hogg, a survivor of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School massacre. David, why are you supporting the red flag laws? 
if there had been, if Scott Peterson, the resource officer at Parkland, had done his job, then Nicholas Cruz wouldn't have killed anybody in your high school, or at least protected them. Why are you supporting red flag gun laws that attack our Second Amendment rights? And why are you using kids to get to, as a barrier? Do you not know how to defend your stance? So I'm walking. He's got nothing to say. Sad. He has nothing to say because there really isn't anything to say, you guys. He has nothing to say because he's paid to do this. Guess what? I'm a gun owner. I'm an American citizen. And I have nothing but this guy with his George Soros funding and his major liberal funding has got everything. I want you to think about that. That's where we are. And he's a coward. He can't say one word because he can't defend his stance. The video that surfaced of Green chasing the young activist prompted early calls for her resignation. Then there was the other time she accosted AOC in a since-deleted live stream that has been resurfaced by CNN's K-File. Green can be seen outside Ocasio-Cortez's congressional office in February of 2019 and when AOC staff rightfully locks the doors on her and her associates, Green starts screaming abuse through the office mailbox. She can be seen telling Ocasio-Cortez to get rid of your diaper and goes on to say, stop being a baby and stop locking your door and come out and face the American citizens that you serve. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I'm an American citizen. I pay your salary through the taxes that you collect from me through the IRS because I'm a tax-paying citizen of the United States. I'm a woman, I'm a female business owner, and I'm proud to be an American woman. And I do not support your socialist policies, and I do not support your murderous abortion policies. As a mother of three children, I'm appalled at New York's law for abortion, and it needs to end and it needs to stop now. You're bringing God's judgment on our country, and I'm against it, as well as my friends. So you need to stop being a baby and stop locking your door and come out and face the American citizens that you serve. If you want to be a big girl, you need to get rid of your diaper and come out and be able to talk to the American citizens. The video was taken before Green became a congresswoman. CNN reports that she went at Congress to deliver a petition to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and was accompanied by Anthony Aguero, who was later caught on camera at the January 6th Capitol riot. Hello there. Hello. Hashtag, where's AOC? <laughs> I hear you in there. It's creepy. It's, it's hide and seek. This is, this is, huh? Hide and seek. It's hide and seek. Tag, you're in. Guess what? You can't stay in there forever. Can you come out and play? AOC is a media pro who chews up and spits out figures like Green on a daily basis. Here's her devastating appraisal of Green's state of mind. I mean, this is a woman that's deeply unwell um, and clearly needs some help. Um, I, you know, I, and her kind of fixation has lasted for several years now. Um, you know, it's at this point, I think. The, the, the depth of that unwellness uh, has raised concerns for other members um, as well. And so, you know, I think that this is a, an assessment that needs to be made by the proper professionals. I was talking to AOC saying, you need to debate me about the Green New Deal. She doesn't need to file ethics uh, uh, violations or whatever 
she's doing, that's that's reacting like a child. Adults are able to debate policy. This is all that needs to be said about the dichotomy between the two Republican parties. On one end, you have a group of insane, delusional cultists. What am I supposed to do? You won't answer my calls. You change your number. I mean, I'm not going to be ignored. And on the other, reasonable, if politically conservative operators who have a modicum of sanity. But as Wednesday's purging of Liz Cheney from her House leadership position shows, the party only wants crazy and a literal stampede away from the GOP from traditional Republicans has begun. Boy, we cannot turn our politics into where we're all confronting each other outside in the schoolyard every day. On Thursday, 150 former governors, members of Congress, cabinet officials, senior administration officials, strategists, and grassroots leaders issued their own declaration of independence with an explicit threat to leave the party if the GOP does not abandon the MAGA mentality. In a document titled, A Call to American Renewal, The signatories reference Cheney's ouster and write, This common sense coalition seeks to catalyze the reform of the Republican Party and its recommitment to truth, founding ideals, and decency, or, if unsuccessful, lay the foundation for an alternative. When in our democratic republic forces of conspiracy, division, and despotism arise, it's the patriotic duty of citizens to act collectively in defense of liberty and justice. The list of signatories include former governors Bill Weld of Massachusetts, Mark Sanford of South Carolina, and Christine Todd Whitman of New Jersey, former representatives Charlie Dent of Pennsylvania, Barbara Comstock of Virginia, James Leach of Iowa, Tom Coleman of Missouri, Mickey Edwards of Oklahoma, and Denver Ringelman of Virginia, former CIA Director Michael Hayden, former Homeland Security Secretary Michael Chertoff, former Republican Party Chairman Michael Steele, and conservative voices such as George Conway and Mona Charon. But two parties now, patriots and traitors. Meanwhile, Liz Cheney has emerged from her purging not only unscathed, but with her reputation dramatically enhanced for her willingness to stand up for her principles and not be bullied into submission by Donald J. Trump. With figures like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates, the face of the modern GOP, Cheney made it crystal fucking clear what's at stake in 2022. A MAGA Republican House majority controlled by the disgraced former president would be a threat to the Republic. Making a midterm election about the unfitness of the challengers rather than the referendum on the incumbents is a gift to the Democratic Party, which would love nothing more than to make Kevin McCarthy the poster boy for toadyism to a despot who tried to steal an election. And now for the main event. It's obvious that the GOP has a major problem on its hands. The party is in its end stages and is dying an ugly death at the hands of Trump and his MAGA adherents. If the more moderate wing of the party abandons the GOP and it becomes a way station for MAGA lunatics, it will surely shrivel and die. If you think about them as a brand, 
The GOP is in very bad shape. My next guest on Mea Culpa, Donnie Deutsch, is a modern branding genius and the former chairman of Deutsch Inc., the advertising company started by his father that grew into an international powerhouse under his tenure. He was also the host of MSNBC's The Big Idea and a frequent guest expert on the Today Show, discussing topics like crisis management and modern branding and politics. It also happens to be the title of his new podcast, On Brand, which deconstructs public figures and their personal brands in this age where everybody and everything is packaged and sold. Deutsch joins us today as the GOP finds itself at a crossroads on for who and for what they stand. We'll discuss the GOP and Trump's brand in the age of the big election lie. So let's listen now to that conversation. Let me start by saying that you have a new podcast coming out. Your new podcast is called On Brand, and it posits that everyone, everywhere, is their own personal brand. Now, I wanted to kick off the show first by discussing the brand of Donald Trump in its current incarnation. Like, for example, where he stands more for conspiracy and anti-democratic values than for anything else in particular. What is the Trump brand in 2021, and how badly has it been tarnished? That's an interesting question. Yeah, Michael, everybody, everything is a brand today. Uh, And that's why I launched the podcast called On Brand with Donnie Deutsch. And Trump is one of the most prolific brands of all time. Love him or hate him, uh, he always has been, uh, and he's understood branding. I think the Trump brand in 2021 stands for, wow, it's it's a great, great question. I, I think... Democracy trying to morph into authoritarianism, into uh, into authoritarian. Wait, what's authoritarianism? Or, or, or what? What's authoritarianism? Authoritarian. <laughs> I'm having trouble saying it. No, he's the would-be dictator. Uh, I mean, that's what you know. He's been. I I would say, in essence, he's been the biggest threat to our democracy in, in at least in my lifetime, and that's the essence of his brand. Well, look, you've known Trump for many, many years. I mean, what is it, 25, 30 years that you've probably known him on a personal level? I've known him about about, about 20 years, 20 years. As personal as... As that personal as anybody can be, you know, as you know better than anybody, he has no real friends. So he would have referred to me as a friend. What that means is we were transactional, whereas he came on my old CNBC, my old CNBC show, did it a bunch of times. I did The Apprentice for three seasons. They came to my ad agency. I lived in his building. Our kids went to the same school. So to him, that's a friend. It is friendly as it was with anybody. And But I never knew, I never saw the dark side in him. I, I always, people ask me all the time, well, was he always like this? And, and most people who knew him the way, way I knew him, like Howard Stern knew him, people like that in the media would say, you knew he was a lounge act. You wouldn't want to do business with him. You know, you, 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 not somebody you want to be a foxer with, but you almost thought he was in on the joke a little bit, like a lounge act. And, um, he just, we, I never saw that dark hole in him. I never did. And the point about the length of time that you've known him, I asked that question because obviously, Going back 20 years, the brand stood for something. I myself, in a New York Post article going back, had to be around the same time. I talked about the value of the Trump brand. Having the Trump brand attached to your property, your building, actually created a benefit. It created a higher price per square foot because the Trump mark was perceived by so many as five-star excellence. And now we're in 2021. Sure. The guy made it somehow to president of the United States. And of course, I call myself Dr. Frankenstein in that theory. But now the brand 
is, as far as I'm concerned, and again, you're the brand expert, is valueless. That's why you've seen 20 buildings right now demanding that his name be taken off. Well, it's not valueless. It's 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 it shifted. It used to be aspirational. He was the first one to capitalize on what I'll call mass aspiration. You know what I mean? He was, you know, there was always a little bit of a cheesiness to it, but it was kind of high-end luxury, a mass view of what high-end luxury looks like. That's why all his stuff had such gilded edges and whatnot. So it was it was a, a mass take on what luxury looks and feels like. Now the luxury thing is gone. Now, he's not valueless. If you wanted to open up a chain of, uh, you know, inexpensive hotels in Mississippi, he would do great, you know, Um and but no, as far as high end in the world that, you know, he used to operate in. No, look, they literally ripped it off the buildings on the West Side Highway. I mean, it was you, you, all the Trump building, you know, and as you know better than anybody, he was in the licensing business. He never, you know, the Trump organization people, I talk about this on TV, I'll tell you, you know better than anybody because you sat in an office next to him, was just a bunch of little offices. It was, you know, it's a branding company, you know, and uh, a licensing company. And but no, the brand as far as aspirational value is worthless as far as. The flag bearer for uh, all of the things he stands for and for 70 million Americans, he still has a tremendous value. It's just not aspirational anymore. Do you believe that it's actually 70 million people that look to Donald Trump and see something aspirational? Or do you think that they just basically held their nose? They voted for Trump for economic purpose, believing the big Trump lie that only he could keep the stock market going. Because when I was in Otisville, and Donnie, you were great, came to visit me a handful of times while I was there. Um, You know, for my listeners, they have to know um, that Donnie and I have known each other for over 20 years. And Donnie came up to visit me in Otisville. And one of the things, you know, that you know, we talk about on a regular basis, of course, is Trump, right? And do you believe that there are really 70 million people that voted him because they like him or because they just didn't like Biden, which is the way that Donald Trump won in 2016, mm-hmm. where people voted for Trump because they just didn't like Hillary Clinton? Different. There was a, the first, I, I think the first group of Trump voters were very different, not very different, but there was, a, I think, different subsets. Whereas, there were people that just hated Hillary and it was an anti-Hillary vote. And then there were the people who like didn't like the system and he was a guy from outside the system. And like I, I think a lot of decent people voted for him first time around. They said, OK, yeah, he let's give this guy a shot. Maybe he's just full of shit and some of the things he's saying. And he's, you know, I, but I think the second time around, you can only divide them into a few categories. One um, racist, out and out racist, because that's obviously the dog whistles they threw out there. What I call soft racists which are people that not necessarily hate people of color, but basically, oh, let's keep things the way they are. You know what I mean? It's, we don't want to even the playing field too much. Uh, I don't know, this diversity thing, I'm not quite so sure about it. And then there were the people that I find the, the most reprehensible to me. I knew a lot of them. It was an extra 3% for their taxes. They were willing to look the other way. They knew better. They could give a fuck at the end of the day what was right and what was wrong. If, if this was an extra $5,000 or $50,000 or $500,000 to me at the end of the year, fuck it. I, I know he's an asshole. Uh, I'm not worried about our democracy. I'm worried about my own family and period. And those are the people I, I really held my nose at. And look, I, you know, moral imperatives aside, if there was somebody that really thought that he was the answer to put food on their table and it was about feeding their family or not, and it, I don't fault them. You know, they don't have the, the ability to, to kind of sit on any kind of moral high ground. But for everybody else, man, this last time around, if you voted for him, uh, 
Wow. And and a lot of it is just a rejection of the cultural elites. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just, they, they, it's not only the race thing, but it's the media thing. And it's the whole elitist, the peak, you know, that they're being left behind by intellectual society and a new global society and new technological society. And we want to wind the clock back. There are a lot of those people, but I got to tell you, I, 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 anybody who was educated, who voted for Trump last time around, you, you lost my respect period. Yeah. Well, you know, before I jump off of this topic, can you tell me a little bit about what on brand is going to be? Tell me a little bit about the podcast. It's something that um, I know that I knew that you were going to be doing a podcast, but I don't really know. And I'd like my listeners to know. Look, I appreciate that. As I said, it's called On Brand with Donnie Deutsch. You can get anywhere you get podcasts. And the whole premise is that today, everything is a brand. Every person is a brand. Every institution, every religion, every movement, every celebrity, every politician, every athlete. If you have a Facebook page, you're a brand. So everything today is a brand. And what I do is every week I do my Top 10 brands of the week, brands that are, you know, shaping who we are. And a brand can be a person, it can be a product, it can be anything, it can be a, a political party. And then each week I have an iconic brand in and of themselves that I interview about their own personal brand. So last week was my premiere show. We had Michael J. Fox. Uh, we've got Dennis Leary coming up. We've got Jim Cramer. We've got Don Lemon in the coming few weeks. So just oh, interesting people from different walks of life, from politics, from entertainment, you know, from business and talking about both their own brand. And then we break down different brands in the world and what's going on. So it's called On Brand and um, it's off to a great start. I'm pretty excited about it. And you'll be seeing Michael Cohen come on and talk about his brand. Wait, do I, do in, I have, in, in do I have a brand months. other than Felon? <laughs> no, of course you have a brand other than you, you are one of the ultimate, you're, you are the every man's anti-Trump. Uh, Felon is a very, you know, it's something obviously you live with a lot, but I don't think when people think of Michael Cohen, they immediately go to Felon. I think they think of a former Trumper who saw the light and now a big part of his soul is continuing to shine a light on how evil and, and the, how whatever Trump, Trump touches gets hurt and there's a toxic stain that's left on it. Right. I always say whatever Trump touches turns to shit and dies, but um, I like your, I like your, vernacular better than mine. <laughs> Hi folks, Michael Cohen here, and we've got an amazing sponsor for this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Things can get pretty intense discussing American politics, so if you need a break from the news cycle and want to hear incredible storytelling that is both fascinating and actionable, you have to check it out. If you want to learn how to get people to do what you want, check out Godfather of Influence, Robert Cialdini, as he joins Jordan to talk about his revisited classic, Influence, New and Expanded, The Psychology of Persuasion. The show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. And there are a ton of episodes you'll find interesting since you're a fan of this show. So check out, for example, last week's interview with conservative icon and Iran-Contra figure Oliver North. There's an episode for everyone, though, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. Jordan's also done an episode all about birth control and how it can alter the partners we pick and how going on or off the pill can change elements of our personalities. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. I promise you, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life, whether it's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. We really enjoy the show and we think you will as well. 
So search for the Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I wanted to discuss now the brand of the modern GOP, which not only has embraced Trump's big lie, but enthusiastically has leaned into all manners of racism, xenophobia, homophobia, Islamophobia, as they embrace these culture wars and they lash out against so-called woke and cancel culture. Now, in addition, there's this um, embracing of conspiracy and just flat-out extreme viewpoints with, like, QAnon and other organizations— If you're a traditional moderate conservative, somebody like a Mitt Romney or former George Bush, you don't what you really just don't recognize what it means to be a Republican anymore. If you would discuss this with me and my listeners on how they go forward with this GOP brand. Great question. Right now, the brand, the, the Republican Party is, is self-destructing in front of us. First of all, there's, there's no conservative element. There's nothing conservative about Donald Trump or the conservative values of, of, uh, uh, of what they're really, really about. It's right now just a party of resentment, a party of no. They, they don't stand for anything. And, you know, the reason they're rallying behind still Trump and, and, and the big lie, and I want to talk about the big lie in a second, is that going forward, it's the only way they can win elections, particularly if they are, if they have something like Trump. They, and that's why a lot of things you're seeing in different states going on right now is the gerrymandering and trying to rig the system because the demographics are moving away from them. But they stand for right now. They just stand for anger and resentment and no, where the Democratic Party now is basically you, you, they stand for going forward, moving forward and, and helping people. So one is about angry people and people lashing back. And one is about helping people. One is about uh, putting an infrastructure plan in place. One is about a COVID relief bill. One is a one is about you know helping healthcare, helping education, and the Republicans stand for nothing other than no, and we're angry and cancel and every it, it is it. And what's so amazing, what I find is that beyond anything, they're so fucking stupid right now. It's a losing proposition. You can't win a general election like this when you don't have any swing voters. When you are this extreme, when you have okay, they have seventy five percent of Republicans who would vote for Trump. You have basically 1% of Democrats and oh, very few independents. The numbers don't add up. You're not going to win another election. So what I can't understand is like lemmings going off a fucking cliff. And they are prisoners of Donald Trump now. And, and I believe somebody at some point steps forward. They may have to lose another election or two. And says, doesn't even make it because they're so, they're so afraid, obviously, to alienate Trump because he holds the base and you'll lose in a primary. But if you come out and say, this is what I would do if I was a Republican strategist. I would find the right can, the right person, and they have to, they have to have a, a gravitas and a strength about them, and they can't be somebody that Trump has already kind of like dissed. That's the problem with a Romney or any of the people. They've been swatted by Trump already, so they lose some of that. Oh, I, don't, I don't know what they're. I don't want to say machismo because I don't mean that in the masculine sense of the, sense of the word. But they, they they need a certain power base. But somebody who said, "Hey, look, whether you like Donald Trump or you don't, even make it about right or wrong." It's a losing proposition. We can't win with him. And here's why. You win moving towards the center in elections. This country is a center-right, center-left electorate. That's it. It's a losing proposition. He lost once. Then there was the insurrection, which will make it harder to elect him again. We can't win with him. And nobody's saying that in the Republican Party. You just say, we can't win. It's not it's not it's like it's a losing fucking strategy. And I also want to rebrand the big lie. I don't think it's teethy enough. It should be the big attempt to overthrow our democracy. 
Because a big lie in and of itself is like, are there two sides to it? Is there a truth or is a lie? There's no sides to it. It was a, it was an a, a attempted overthrow of our democracy. That's what it was. And let's not, let's stop calling it a big lie. It was an attempted overthrow of our democracy. And that's, they want to kill our democracy. And that's what that's about. Well, it's true because by calling it the big lie, here's something that we all know after watching Captain Chaos, our orange crusted bloviated Cheeto for four plus years. Everything that comes out of his mouth is a fucking lie. So now what are you doing? You're just compounding? Okay, fine. It's not 35,261 lies. It's 35,262 lies. You're 100% correct. This was so, we were so close to becoming a dictatorship, a fascist country. We, people don't realize just how close we were to having Donald Trump declaring himself the monarch of the United States of America. It's, it's incredible. I'll tell you, the only reason it didn't happen, he wasn't clever enough. Had he, a couple of years earlier, started to put get the right people in the right state legislatures, that the brave people that stood up in Georgia and the brave people that stood up in Arizona wouldn't have been there. And and people don't fucking realize how close, and we still are. You know that's the thing that 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 this we're not nearly out of this. I mean, Tom Friedman wrote a great op-ed in the Times a couple of weeks ago, and how fearful we should be that right now what's going on in the different states trying to trying to really really suppress the vote and really really rig the elections and that because that's the only way they can win. So we're not out of it, and it's just it is what's so scary is. You just say there were 75 million people that voted for this. And like, what the fuck? What the fuck? And uh, we talked earlier about the reasons, but it, it it's staggering. And I've lost friends over it, you know, because to me, if you vote for Donald Trump, I'm sorry, there is you, there is a there, you have a fundamental character floor. I find it not first time around. The guys, folks that voted because it was so tired of the system and they so Hillary was such a bad candidate and. I don't know. I know he said some fucked up things, but let's take a flyer on this guy. You know, maybe he's going to be the right guy. Maybe he was just saying some things to get elected. But after sitting through four years of what we saw, if you could put your thumb up and say, yes, I, I, that's the guy for me. You, you got there's something fucking you got to look in the mirror. You got to look really hard. Yeah. And I don't believe that you're going to be invited to Donnie Deutsch's Christmas party. That's certainly for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, Donnie, I mean, you brought something up. You know, the GOP right now is all about anger and resentment. Those are your words. My question to you is, angry about what? Resentment about what? That they lost the election? How about get over What is it that the GOP is so angry and resentful about? It's not that the GOP, it's that that is what they are playing into. They, they believe that their biggest shot, because they, the demographics are moving away, that they believe in their own, that there are enough disenfranchised people, people who feel left out, of globalization, people feel left out of their technological advancement, people who feel are fearful that by the year 2040, we're going to be a non-white majority country, that there are enough people of those plus wealthy people who will hold their nose and look the other way and only care about their, you know, pocketbooks, as I said before, that that's the constituency we can, we can weave together. And it doesn't, it's not there anymore. It's not there anymore. So they're lost. All they can do, you know, when you're lost, all you can do is complain. When you don't have ideas and you don't have a platform, all you can say is the system sucks. The system sucks. It's all wrong. It's all broken. They're coming to get you. They're coming to take you away because you don't have a left brain argument. You only have fear. 
and to prey on and that you're going to be left behind in this new world and we're going to take care of you. And we all know what a bunch of bullshit that is. So, Donnie, Trump in the last week has only seemed to increase his hold on the GOP, something that we were talking about before. From this crazy Arizona recount to Liz Cheney's banishment, as well as the rise of Elise Stefanik. Now, Trump is purging everyone who opposes him from the party. Now, while this is good for Trump and for raising money from his base, he's also guaranteed the GOP continues losing national elections for years to come as he transforms the party into a cult of personality. The strength of the cult, in my opinion, and his ability to attract new members will decide the fate of the House in 2022 and so much more. How do you see this all playing out in the months to come? What the Republicans have on their side is history, that the first midterms after a president elected, the other party usually does incredibly well. Um, It's the Congress is up for grabs, clearly. I think the biggest mistake the Democrats can make if they put too much energy, I mean, focus on, if you're the Democrats, focus on the kitchen table issues, putting money in people's pockets, health care, education, taxing the very, very wealthy. If they get into too many issues, too many woke issues, if it starts to become too much about transgender bathrooms, and this is not a commentary on it, but I mean issues that don't really affect people's pocketbooks and everyday lives, that's when the country starts to lean in the other direction, defund the police, that kind of stuff. That's what costs you the, the elections. If they stay on course and the Republicans continue to just be about anger, the Democrats are going to do, do great. I mean, it's that simple. The only thing that can hurt, I, the thing I worry about about the Democrats, and I've come out and said this, and that I, I do think there's too much spending. I, I think that we can do a lot of things we're doing, but I'm worried about inflation. And I'm worried about that, did we need $6 trillion? Could you have done it with 3 or $4 trillion? And that I'm hearing from a lot of people that run businesses that a lot of people don't want to come back to work because their unemployment benefits are so high and they're getting these stimulus checks. And we got to make sure that we don't... In, Fixing one problem cause another one. But right now, look at you look at the approval raising of Biden. He's at a sixty-three percent. I mean, we don't we don't see that in this country anymore. And his policies are all in the low sixties uh, for the most part, at least health how he's dealing with COVID and how he's dealing with the stimulus and, and things like that. So right now it all looks rosy for the Democrats, but I just wonder if they if they start going too far down any path. You know, we are a country that exists towards the center. And the parties that forget that lose their power. And that's where we are. Well, explain then to me how it's possible that people like Mitch McConnell or individuals like Ted Cruz have the balls to get up and to say that Biden's plans, his economic plans are terrible, that they will destroy this country. My real question is, Trump's trillions seem to have been the praise of the GOP, and yet Biden's billions seems to be the complete demise of our country, according to the GOP. How do you put the how do you ration these two things together? Well, first of all, they're both in the trillions and the Republicans, you know, all of a sudden uh, remember their fiscal conservatism. When they're not in power. I mean, because they're hypocrites, because they're politicians and it's politics. And we know that. And this is why politicians have such low approval ratings overall, because they'll say and they'll do it. Look, we can go, you and I could mash up, whether it's Lindsey Graham or, or Mitch McConnell, you know, saying completely contradictory things, depending whether it's a Republican or a Democrat in control. They have no point of view. They have no moral compass. They are not attached to anything. They are purely transactional. It's about their own power 
and staying in power. That you know, when, when people say to me, "Well, how can all these Republicans, you know, go in line?" And they know better than that, and they know right. Most of them know right from wrong. They want to keep their jobs. It's not fucking simple. It's like they're and I say. I understand it from human nature. A lot of people, I mean, Liz Cheney is a hero. She's brave. Most people are not brave. If you went to right now across corporate America and said to somebody, okay, this is what's wrong in your company and you need to speak up and say what's wrong, but you might, you'll probably lose your job if you do it. Most people are going to stay quiet. That's it. it. This is their job. You know, you're a Republican senator. This is who you are. This is your power base. This is why you get invited to people's homes. This is how you make your living. This is how you're going to cash in on your living after it's over and they don't want to give it up and it's that simple it's just humans protecting their own personal interests they fucking know better all these people they're not idiots you know as far as the, as far as the election you had 60 judges a lot of them trump judges who've said it was a, the fairest election ever you you've had a, a justice department that was trump's justice department coming out and saying it was a completely completely fair election i mean any any way you can look at it these are not they're, they're not ignorant people they're just fucking will go along with it to keep their jobs it's that simple you know i mean when all these tv people are there how can they do it how can they go because they want to keep their jobs and that's it they can give a fuck about anything else there are very few heroes in the world liz cheney right now is a hero well sadly it sounds pathetic but speaking about pathetic people one of our favorite topics around here is rudy giuliani now as a lifelong new yorker rudy has been a permanent fixture for all of us but There's now two Rudys, the old Rudy from 20 plus years ago, who was America's mayor and built up a lifetime of goodwill, you know, for his heroism, his leadership, and really things that he did for us here in New York, cleaning it up, for example. And before that, he was this, you know, crusading mob buster who ran the SDNY and took down, you know, the modern mafia. Then there's the Rudy of today, <laughs> who's just a fucking laughing stock. He's a ruined and humiliated man who farts in hearings, has hair fucking dye <laughs> dripping down his face. He makes a shit show of everything. Now, I can't square these two men in my mind as the same person. What do you think happened to Rudy? First of all, I was never a Rudy fan. You know, before 9-11, he was not well-liked in New York. I always thought he was a bully. And I, and I know this is controversial. I think he just did his job at 9-11. I, I, I think he did what well, we were supposed to go high. I think he did his job. And I, I mean, and I think for years after it, he exploited it, uh, to the point that I think there were a lot of 9-11 survivors, people who lost families feel that in certain ways he was very exploitive of it, but let's even give him that. Okay. He did his job and he, he was, he was good at them. He basically is another example of desperately clinging to power sold his soul. I mean, it's that simple. I mean, he would, to to be in the limelight, to be in front of the camera, to have people paying attention, to be able to make money, um, he sold his soul to the devil. And also on top of that, he's clearly unstable. I mean, you, you hear, you see him on television. Um, there's a lot of rumors about his personal life and, and different things, but he's he's an unstable, soulless, pathetic human being. I, I, I find him one of the most vulgar humans. And... He will be remembered, you know, his last kind of big, the last two big public things people will be seeing is him with the fucking, uh, you know, hair dye running down his face, um, uh, ranting and raving about an election that he said was stolen and in court said it wasn't. And, you know, pathetic. The one word for him now is, and what I don't understand about these guys is, don't they understand how they're going to go down in history? Don't all these Trump supporters understand how history is going to write this? 
History is going to, you know, we remember presidents for one thing, usually. You know, it's, it's usually one or good, one good or one bad. LBJ was, is, was remembered for civil rights, uh, the civil rights bill. Obama with Obamacare. George W. Bush, who, who I like, and as we get farther away, a lot of people really respect him. Unfortunately, he was remembered for one mis- from the mistake of the Iraqi war. You know, you usually, there's one thing attached, and one thing will be attached to Trump's legacy that he tried to destroy our democracy. And he, he, he tried to steal an election, and anybody that's associated with him will go down the same way. So I, I never understand that. I just don't. Well, you may remember um, when all of this was happening to me after they raided my home, my hotel, my law office, and so on, I actually came over to your house. You brought your friend uh, Fred uh, Garcia over there, and we had this long you know, breakfast powwow where I had stated to you, and I remember the look on your face when I said it to you, that I will not allow history to remember me as the villain of Donald Trump's story. And I remember you Mm -hmm. sat up there and you were like, history is the most important thing that you should think about. Yes, what you're going to deal with in the short term, uh, meaning, you know, the dealing with the um, Southern District of New York, potential incarceration, that's short term. But I remember you turning around and saying, good for you, because history should not remember you for Donald Trump's dirty deeds. I wasn't the one who slept with Stormy. No, no, you already, John Dean is, look, history looks well on John Dean. He was a guy who was obviously in the inner circle, got caught up, made a mistake, paid for it, and spent the rest of his life redeeming himself and and you're in the same place look you made a mistake you've talked about it that look your show is called mea culpa i mean what what else do we need to know that you got caught up in it you got caught up in this cult-like thing like so many infinitely you know more powerful and famous and rich people have gotten caught up with but you paid the price for it and you've learned and you're a better man you're, you're a wounded man as a result of it and you are now dedicating yourself to making sure things are right and exposing all the evil. And so I think history would be good to you. I think there'll be an asterisk, you know, as, as, but I think, you know, I think history, you, you were at a precipice. We talked about this and had you gone and gone all in on Trump at that point and said, you know, you would have always been remembered as a bad guy. You know what I mean? You're, you know, you, you meet you and you're a very likable guy. You're a real guy. You fucked up. You made a mistake. Okay. But we're all about second chances in this country. And, you are doing all the right things now. And I just want to say to your listeners, you've always been a great family man, a great father, a great friend, a great husband. You got in bed with the wrong guy and you made a mistake and you, you paid for it. You paid for it with your freedom. And now you've got a great second chance. You know, and, and thank you, Donnie. Cyber criminals target job seekers looking for new employment with fake job postings designed to trick people into revealing their personal information and social security number. With this information, cybercriminals can access your credit cards, bank accounts, and even open a loan in your name. Be sure to carefully research job postings and protect your information from fraudulent job posts. You put your information in so many places online. Unfortunately, cybercriminals around the world keep finding new ways to steal identities. The all-in-one protection of Norton 360 with LifeLock makes it easy to have protection in the digital world. Norton 360 with LifeLock gives you comprehensive protection for devices, online privacy, and identity. Device security blocks cybercriminals from stealing personal information on your devices. VPN with bank rate encryption helps keep the personal information you send over Wi-Fi safe. 
LifeLock Identity Theft Protection monitors your personal information and alerts you to potential threats to your identity. Now, no one can prevent all cybercrime and identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But if you have Norton 360 with LifeLock, you can opt into cyber safety. So sign up today and save 25% or more off your first year by going to Norton.com slash Cohen. That's 25% off Norton 360 with LifeLock at Norton.com slash Cohen. One of the things that I talk about when I was on, whether it's Nicole Wallace or Kate or Jonathan Capehart show or Ari Melbourne's or any of them or uh, Allison Camrod on CNN is Rudy needs to open his eyes and to see what happened to me, which is why I term that, you know, hashtag under the bus club. Rudy doesn't seem to, for some reason, understand that he too screwed up. And now that they have all of his electronics, they have all of his communications, you could rest assured because you nailed it right on, right on the head. It's for Rudy. It was all about the Benjamins. It was all about the money. It was all about the power, the fame, having television crews following him around, having that small entourage of five, six, seven people. When he would walk into a restaurant, you would think that a rock star was coming in. It was just, it was the guy who looks just like the penguin from one of the early Batmans, right? (laughs) Do you know, fucking Tony, this is true. You know, I'm allowed out for two hours a day. I usually walk in the park. I'm coming on, I get off the, out of the park. I'm heading towards my apartment. I'm on 61st in Madison. I turn the corner. Who do I bump into? Rudy. And Rudy is there. Oh, you didn't oh, tell me that. oh yeah. So he's walking he's, uh, with this woman with long brown hair. And I, I could see she's saying, it's Michael Cohen. Look the other way. Look there. So he's waddling down. You know, he looks like he threw his back out. He's like his L4, L5, L5, L5S1 is completely entangled. He's sort of like nose scraping against the concrete, like the way that the penguin would walk waddling. He's got to be 300 pounds. And I actually wanted to walk over and say something to him. Rudy, don't let history do to you what's going to happen. Because Trump doesn't care how the fuck you're remembered in history. To the contrary, he wants Rudy to be remembered in history look, you, as a okay. bad guy because then he could look, say, it wasn't me. You know, look, Michael, you running, know better than anybody. Running around the Once world, the feds doing his raid your place, they, they're, they got something. They're not coming in on a, you know what I mean? It's like they, they, they don't do that and then go away, all right? So the fact that a ex-attorney of the president, an ex mayor of New York City, an ex-attorney general, uh, I mean, got, not attorney general, um, uh, was he, head of the Southern District of New York. Head of the SDNY. They they, they have something. So Rudy is going to come, have a come to Jesus moment, as you know. He's going to be sitting across from a prosecutor after they indict him for whatever they're going on. And he's going to have to make a decision. Does he want to spend the rest of his life in jail or whatever repercussions are going to come from his crimes? Or is he going to talk? And and turn on Donald Trump, and you know what's going to happen at that point. You know it's it's that simple. So Rudy does not have a bright future ahead of him. I wouldn't want to be Rudy Giuliani. And you you talked about the Benjamins. We forget a lot of these politicians who they have power, but they don't have a lot of money, and they're around people with money. And you know they make a few hundred thousand dollars a year, which is not nothing, but it's not super wealth in in our world today. And so then they're desperate for money afterwards, and they will do a lot of things. And we're going to start to hear more and more about what happened in Ukraine with Rudy. And um, a lot of it was about money. He's just, okay, he's, once his power went away and he wasn't able to get power anymore, well, at least let me get some fucking money. And he sold his soul. And we're going to see more of that coming forward. Yeah, you know, I totally agree with you that there's no way that they did all of this just simply to let 
Rudy Giuliani and Trump, who's, of course, the big fish or one of the big fish in this. I've said this before, and I really do mean it. I believe that they know that they have more than enough on Giuliani and others just off of the Ukraine, off of Yovanovitch's fighting, um, of being fired, and so on. But I believe that they have much more than that. And I believe that there are communications between Bill Barr, between Rudy Giuliani, between people like Jared speaking on behalf of Trump. You know, they're all very, very cryptic in their emails, right? They refer to Donald as the boss. Ah, they are. Well, which boss are you talking about? That is if that's supposed to exonerate them from what some substance of the communication is. It's almost laughable when you start to see. And when I remember when Giuliani sent this guy, Bob Costello, to try to become my lawyer so that not to represent me, even though that was the whole goal. He wanted to represent me, but it wasn't really to represent me. It was really so he could report back to Rudy. So Rudy could then right. report back to Donald. I mean, that's how they operate. And now that now that all of these communications are in the hands of the Southern District of New York, Rudy, in his infinite non-wisdom, thinks for a moment that he's going to be able to stop these communications from coming out or being used by calling it by calling it attorney-client privilege. You know, things that we know that destroy attorney-client privilege is if there's a non-attorney on the communication. So if you have Ivanka or Jared or Don Jr. or Eric or any of the other people that Donald always wanted to be involved in everything, that's one of Donald's mistakes. Or based on the crime fraud exception rule, he's going to end up not being successful in keeping that out of the hands of the SDNY. They know it. I truly believe Rudy knows it. And if I was Donald Trump right now, I would be very fucking nervous too because all of this implicates that whole Donald Trump orbit. And I think that there's going to be a multitude of indictments. Just the big question is, when? When already? How is it that this Teflon Don keeps escaping You know these indictments, these impeachments. Well, of course, we knew that he was never going to be convicted. But, you know, how is it he's escaping all of this? Well, he did it while he was president. He won't anymore. And you know better than anybody. And there's obviously things that you can't talk about. But even the things we've read are bank fraud, insurance fraud, tax fraud, it, that anybody goes away for 10, 20, 30 years. I mean, you, you, you could talk chapter and verse about how he would value one thing on a tax form for purposes of, of a write-off and value another thing on a loan form for purposes of a loan and then price them differently. It's against the law. You go to jail. I, I mean, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. You, you know, I've said this on air and I, you know, that I've always believed that the Trump organization is a criminal enterprise. And I believe that they, I always thought at some point they would RICO him because it's exactly what RICO was set up for the racketeering indictment uh, act that basically that even if somebody themselves is not the one doing it, if they're giving the direction and they're the center of it, you can take the whole organization down. So I, I believe that he will be indicted. That's another thing where I go back to the dumb Republican Party. You're behind the guy that's going to be indicted. I mean, it's a, the government does not put this much time. And I also believe that if you're somebody and you're a prosecutor and you're on the right side of the law, here we have a guy that tried to take our system down. That basically said, I'm bigger than the house, you know, and I'm going to take it down. And I do believe that if you're a law and order person, you understand that person has to be punished for future people. That, that he, he, I don't, it's, too, it's too minimum to say he's me an example of, but you can't do the things he's done 
and it not be punished. Our system doesn't work then because what's going to happen is this, the system's going to break because you're saying, go for it. So I believe the powers that be and there are enough prosecutors, there are enough lawmen out there, there are enough G-men out there, enough good souls who believe in the law and the rule of the law and a guy who tried to destroy our system and they will make him pay for it. it the, the, the system doesn't work otherwise. So it just hasn't happened yet. And that's it, whether it happens tomorrow, whether it happens, uh, you know, it will happen. And, and, you know, you've had, it's been documented in the, in the, in the news that you've had many, many discussions with, with Cy Vance's office. And as you know, they're not spending dozens and dozens and dozens of hours on it, well, just with you, but I mean, thousands and hundreds, thousands of man hours with people if they don't have something. They're not, you know, and you're in a better position than anybody to talk about that. And this is really where I believe the Democratic slogan that no one is above the law really applies the most. And if, in fact, that they don't continue with it and that there are no indictments, then actually most people will turn around and say, yeah, there are people that are above the law, starting with Donald Trump. You know, there is nobody above the law, and I think this will prove that. Uh, look, obviously the law favors the wealthy and people that can buy influence can hire the best attorneys. So we're, we don't have a fair system. We know that. And uh, it, it obviously is set up for when you're underprivileged or you're poor, you tackle with the law, you, you have infinitely less chances of winning. But there's such a bright light on this that there is, I don't think, any incentive for lawmakers, particularly if you're just, yes, it's, there's politics involved in it, but if you come from what, certainly one side of the aisle and you are a uh, justice person, I don't know why you would let this pass. It doesn't make any sense. And, you know, you just, otherwise you're just teaching this, teaching the world. Here's a guy who we know is a liar, who we know is a cheat, who we know is a thief, who we, who we know is just plays above the law. And a legal, a law system does not, should not allow that person to skate because other the most simple forget justice in itself you're just basically setting up more in the future it's just right that it's just as simple as that you got to make an example of them and they i believe that they will donnie in one of your recent appearances on msnbc you push back against the latest democratic spending bills around infrastructure and children and families now part of what the biden administration is doing is leaning into new fiscal theory that deficits in actuality do not matter and government should be spending more and not less to put more money and more services into the pockets of the people who need it most. Now, academics and those in charge of fiscal policy believe that with inflation, uh, long dead and interest rates at historic lows, it's almost irresponsible not to borrow the money. Can you discuss this with me? Because I remember it was a pretty heated conversation. Yeah, yeah. I'm not an economist. I'm not Steve Ratner, you know, but what I, I have run a business. And I do know that at certain points in time that you, you just can't keep spending and borrowing. And it, it just, it, it, it doesn't add up. And some, somebody's got to pay that bill, whether our kids or not. So it's not that I'm against any of those programs. They're helping people and people need help. I just think that maybe we could accomplish instead of with $6 trillion, maybe with Two or three or four trillion dollars. There's a lot in there that there's. That, where I don't want to ever get to a point where we're de-incentivizing people. And I was, I've heard from a lot of people in business that a lot of workers are, you know, just you know, not maybe so fast back to work because the unemployment stuff is so robust, and that you know they're getting these stimulus checks, and a lot of people are getting PPPs that don't even need it. And people are creating false cover. I, I, I just think it's very easy to say spend, 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 spend. I'm just somebody that says. Can we do it and can we do it 
a little with a little bit more responsibility. And that, that's all I'm saying. And I'm worried about inflation. And I just, and I also, you know, you get to the point where it's just, it's something just in your gut says it shouldn't be this easy. We, we just keep printing money. There's some, something's got to give. And that's what I worry about. And I, I, you know, obviously we need help and, and we need to fix things and we need infrastructure and we did need the COVID relief. But as I said, it's just two trillion here, two trillion there, two trillion there, two trillion there. And when does the music stop? And I just, I just like to MSNBC sometimes be a counterpoint. You know, the problem with media today is on, obviously everybody knows if it's Fox News or it's MS, it's just tends to be a lot of cheerleading going on for your side, whether you're on the blue team or the red team. And I'm a centrist, you know, I'm on MSNBC. I'm, I'm a moderate, uh, I'm a fiscal conservative. Uh, I'm, a, I'm socially moderate like so many other people, but I, I, I just, I'm a little worried that we can just be spending a little too much. You know, I, and I totally agree with you. I had a guest on the show who ascribed to exactly the question that I had posed to you, he didn't believe that spending meant anything. You know, you're never paying the deficit back ever. And therefore, you have you shouldn't be thinking about it, that that's the role of government just to continue to produce money and that you'll never, ever have to pay back. Who's going to come to collect you know, on it? And I, I don't like that ideology either. And where I saw your conversation really going is something that I also agree with you 100% on, we need to knock out the waste, the fraud, the abuse. When you give a six, when you have a $6 trillion um, package or a $2 trillion package, the first thing that are going through so many people's minds, the people that are getting these contracts is how much money am I going to be sticking into my pocket? And you would think that it would be an enormous amount of money, but they're never happy with just the amount that they're getting. They're always thinking how to squeeze more out of the money, how to provide less and how to do more. I saw this at the BOP when I was incarcerated. I legitimately saw them take brand new fucking tools, electric screwdrivers, um, what, what do you call it? Um, wrenches. I saw them taking um, ladders that still had the tags on them and cutting them into pieces. We were tasked with doing this Why? so that they could then, well, so that then the Bureau of Prisons can go ahead and make requests for more, even though that they had still more than enough than what they, than even the stuff that we threw away because their budget calls for X amount of dollars in in materials and so on, and that they, if they're going to replenish their budget with that, they have to show that they got rid of the other stuff. Sure. Now, look, there's, there's always going to be a lot of fat in government and bureaucracy, but I, I just, I, I just, I just know that always spending is not the answer <laughs> as a businessman. I mean, it's just, it's not, you know, uh, and I just don't want to get to a place where. We overload the system and, and somehow the system doesn't work. If I could use it in terms of like your branding knowledge and your previous, um, you know, running of, you know, um, advertising companies. To me, what I saw myself at the BOP would be tantamount to you doing a campaign ad for XYZ company. And instead of using 10,000 sheets of paper, you only use seven and instead of holding the 3000 additional on the side for future use, you throw it in the garbage. 
That's exactly what's going on here. That's just waste. And you're right. If, in fact, they're going to have a $2 trillion, another $2 trillion addition to our deficit, let's try to, let's try to do it intelligently. You know, just because you have the money there to spend doesn't mean that you should be spending $100 on a toilet seat or $500 on a screwdriver. Things that we all have heard over the years about government waste and fraud and abuse. It's maybe you're right. You don't need two trillion. Maybe you only need one or one and a half. Listen, 500 billion is a lot of money. There wasn't, there didn't seem to be a lot of debate around it. That's, that's my, you know, you, there was just, and it's part of the problem with the Republican Party is that they've lost all their credibility and where they're shrieking about Dr. Seuss and cancel culture and things like that, that are so ridiculous and, and, and conspiracy theories, as opposed to the old Republican Party, which was a fiscally conservative party that would have had some healthy debates, with Democrats. And then you come out somewhere in the middle. We, we seem to have lost the middle and I'm a middle guy. Well, yeah. And, and so am I. Now, I've said this more than once on this show, that Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, he's winning the war, especially at the state level, as Trumpism is taking hold with these repressive voter bills in places like Georgia or the anti-protest bill that they just, you know, um, put forth in Florida. Yet... It's big business, right? Coca-Cola, Major League Baseball, and others who are using their big stick to try and push back on this regressive legislation by using their clout to apply pressure where it's effective. Why do you think we're seeing this level of activism from corporate America, something we've never seen before? And ultimately, is it about doing good or is it simply another form of marketing? I, I think, look, let's, corporations are corporations. And if you're a CEO, you're responsible for shareholder value. Now, I, most CEOs I've dealt with are very, very decent human beings, but they make business decisions. And the right business decision for them is the right moral decision, because here's why. If you look at a marketing plan of just about any product out there, you mentioned Coca-Cola, you mentioned, you know, they're not talking to 60-year-olds anymore. It's all they, the, the key demos for them are 18 to 34 and 18 to 49. And those younger people are very on the side of progressive issues. They, in all research, young consumers want companies with a conscience. It's not just good enough to have the right product if you're not doing the right things, if you're not standing behind the right principles and, and simple things like racial equality uh, is, or voter freedom is, you know, voting rights are pretty basic stuff that the consumers will punish you. So corporations, look, they would love to be agnostic. They, they, they would love to not have to get involved, in most of them, in any social issues because they are mass products. They, they, obviously, you can't have a big-scale product or a big-scale service without, obviously, having both Republicans and Democrats buying your products. But the core audiences for them today demand of them to take stands on issues. So you're going to see as the population becomes more and more diverse – as the population continues to, as the younger groups keep coming up, you're going to see more and more of it. So it is something that you're going to see as a, I don't want to say price of entry for a lot of corporations, but they can't sit, most of them can't sit on the sidelines anymore because their younger audiences demand them to be involved. Well, you know, what's interesting. Trump, right after Coca-Cola took its stand, he did what Trump does. And you know this as well. You've been around him long enough. What does Trump do the second that somebody attacks him? He attacks back and tries to attack back 10 times harder. Now, let's not go back too many years after Trump made that stupid statement about Mexicans when he was announcing his candidacy. What ended up happening? Mm -hmm. Macy's came out 
And they said, we're no longer going to hock your schlocky products, your Trump signature suits, your Trump mattresses, your Trump ties, and so on. So Trump then went on the complete offensive, and he basically called upon his many, many millions of followers. He didn't have 100 million at the time. It was probably more like 20 million or 25 million. And he called upon all of his followers to cut up their Macy's credit cards. To call up Macy's and tell them, if you don't carry Trump, could you imagine the psyche of somebody like this? If you don't carry. Well, of course, the psyche, but that, but that, does, that doesn't work with most consumers. You know, it, it just, I mean, that plays out in the media. I, yes, there's some crazy, fervent, you know, nutty Trump people, but I, I think if you're a Macy shopper and you, you're going to be a Macy shopper, and I, I think. That has its limitations. You know, I, I don't think he brought Macy's to their knees. Well, actually, Macy's lost a pretty substantial amount of business. Shockingly, they did. And then ultimately, of course, how do we how do we know this? Do we I mean, was it reported that way? Was yeah, it, it was mean, it was actually reported that way. Uh, and on top of that, not only did they lose business, but the CEO at the time, who was a major ass kisser to Trump, uh, I forget what Terry Lundgren was his name. You remember, they used to play golf all the time. Right, Terry ended sure. up losing his job um, at Macy's. And what this does and the point of that, I'm bringing this up, what this does is this empowers Trump. Even if he lost five other scenarios, the fact that he beat Macy's down, in his mind, he actually believes that he has the ability to create an effect on Coca-Cola. Now, he claimed that Coca-Cola is no good. It's a terrible product. Don't drink it, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, there's a picture and then we there's see a picture of cones, him right? sitting yeah. at his desk, right, with a Coca-Cola can hidden behind the telephone. Scrotal distancing? Ever heard of it? I'm not talking about running away from our Cheeto-dusted former president or Rudy the Nudie Giuliani. They're scroters of different sack. But if you're struggling to separate the guys from your thighs, it's simple for Tommy John's hammock pouch underwear. I'm not kidding here, folks. The underwear is the real deal, and I keep begging them to send me more because they're so damn comfortable. When you're wearing Tommy John's hammock pouch underwear, you're that much more comfortable, so you can do everything better. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. Fanatics that call Tommy John's hammock pouch one of life's greatest inventions. With dozens of comfort innovations, once you've tried Tommy John underwear, you're never going back. Like an air mesh interior hammock and moisture-wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands... With over 13 million pairs sold, balls across America love Tommy John underwear because everything stays in place. So no more flopping, sticking, or chafing. Tommy John underwear has a non-rolling waistband for the perfect fit. The legs never ride up, and you're covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear, or it's free. Guaranteed. And right now, you'll get 20% off your first order at TommyJohn.com Cohen. That's 20% off your first order of underwear and loungewear at TommyJohn.com slash Cohen. TommyJohn.com slash Cohen. See the site for details. Coming soon from Audio Up, the third installment in our epic teenage horror musical mashup series, Prom in Hell. Ain't no motherfucking prom king, bitch. Starring Jaden. What the f*** is going on at this school? Nessa Barrett. What's up? 
It's Jaden. It's Nessa Barrett. Comedy Hell is for comedy musical podcasts. Featuring me and some of my friends. Prom in Hell, coming soon from Audio Up and No Cap Events. A little off topic, but I just, it, it, it so, was so compelling to me that a couple of weeks ago, there was a little video of him talking at Mar-a-Lago. And you, you have to, you know this, what Mar-a-Lago looks like in a lot of other country clubs. You know, in the dining room, it's a beat up old dining room. You've got like 60 or 70 old people sitting around. So there was Trump standing in front of his dining room with a little guy who was playing guitar behind him. It must have been like Italian night or something when they were serving veal parmesan and they had a little guitar player standing up there saying... Well, these states, you know, is a legitimate, illegitimate, not in the presidential, not with the presidential seal, not in the White House, not on the, not on the, on the, on, in, on the lawn, in the Rose Garden, but in this little tawdry beat up dining room to probably 60 people that were half drunk. And it was pathetic in that it's just, he's still, <laughs> and it's part of my way of going, he doesn't even understand where he is or what it's the, it's his own universe. He, in his own mind was still in the White House and it was this pathetic setting that showed just how neutered he's been. Well, if you want to talk about neutered, picture this. He shows up to a wedding that was also at Mar-a-Lago. And instead of getting up there graciously as the, as right, it's his property, Mar-a-Lago, even though it's members, right? Congratulations, Congratulations to the bride, bride and to the groom. I've known your father for so many years. You know, you're a beautiful young uh, bride marrying a handsome, you know, uh, groom, blah, blah, blah. Instead, I won the election. You all know it. I mean, right. it was probably the <laughs> single most inappropriate place for him to do his stump speech. It's almost as if, though, he doesn't have another thought in his brain other than the old worn-out stump speech about how great he is. It's not a word about the bride and the groom. Not to turn around to say, thank you for staying with me, right? When most people, if they had half a brain, if they had any seichel, right, they would get the hell out of that goddamn, you know, glitzy club, right, that's just overpriced in and of itself, and then just go someplace else where you don't have Donald Trump lurking around like, you know, the ghost of Mrs. Muir and sitting there and talking about himself at a time that's the most important time in a family's life is watching their children getting married. Because he's a sociop he's a sociopath that we know it and he cannot he cannot empathize or look beyond himself. And he you know I've said this on the air. He is, if you, if your audience looks up the definition of sociopath, it is, I think he has like 13 of the 14 traits. I mean, he is a true sociopath in every sense of the word. And I, uh, and I agree with you on that. And I talk about that in my book, Disloyal, a lot. He is a narcissistic sociopath. And it's, for me, I knew, I've always known he was a sociopath and a narcissist at the same time. But what really sort of got me the most was, when I watched what was going on on January 6th, the insurrection, and instinctively, because I know him so well, I knew exactly what he was thinking at the time that we were both watching the identical thing on the same channels. I knew exactly what he was thinking. This is great. Look at all these people oh, with course. Trump flags. Look at all these people with MAGA hats. Look at them with Trump 2020, right? These are my people. Oh, well, but, but he was, he was, he was t- tweeting what he thought. And was there anything more repulsive than watching Don Trump Jr. and his and Kimberly Grofile dancing 
and you know they were in the tent and they were watching it and like, like just disgusting, just vile. And I, I find that I find that Trump though the the I, the Trump children I I just uh, I, I put in the same exact place. I yeah, and I'll I'll be honest with you. Obviously, knowing them the way that I do, I never thought that they would ultimately become the disgraceful individuals and humans that they that they are they're just disgraceful you know i remember sitting and talking with donnie a dozen 50 times about how he wants to be nothing like his father he wants to be able to go into the park and throw a ball or a frisbee or kick a soccer ball with his kids where that's nothing donald never did that with any of them and he wanted to be around more he didn't want to be this sort of distant father like Donald was because the kids were so young during the divorce. And what does Don, what does Donnie do? What does Don Jr. do? Exactly the same thing. And why are they all saying yeah. the stupid shit that they say all the time? It's only because they are starving for love and attention from their father. And the only way that they can and get it is by saying stupid shit that bolsters him in their minds. And... In certain ways, they're employees. I mean, they, he would cut them out. I mean, you know what I mean? It's just that it is the, it's about the Benjamins also, you know? I mean, they, they, you know, if any, either of them, any of them stood up to their dad, you know, he'd cut them loose. And so forget even trying to get his love. They want his money. So, you know, it's, it's all attached. You know that better I than I can't anybody. tell you how many times I've heard Donald turn around in front of myself and others and say to Don, Ivanka, Eric, I'll fire your ass as fast as, as I would fire Michael's. And I would sit there and say to myself, right. "I look, I have children as well. You have children. I, I've never, I don't speak to them like that, and I don't put, you know, a quid pro quo on anything with them, uh, other than, you know, be a good person, study hard, do well in school, blah blah blah. I mean, yeah. he's just bad. You know, Donnie, as we're winding down the hour, I just have, uh, you know, one or two more questions for you. You know, sure. as a marketer extraordinaire, how do you think that we fight back against the big lie?" One of the more pernicious aspects of what Trump is doing is making people question the very fabric of truth itself, as you have millions of people. I mean, 70 percent in the last poll taken of Republican voters who believe that the election was stolen. Now, we keep hearing about it on Fox News and again and again and again with the morons like Tucker Carlson. But thankfully, you know, Trump has lost his megaphone on social media. But now... Believing the big lie has become a litmus test for all Republicans as Kevin McCarthy has now banished Liz Cheney for speaking the truth. So in this climate where we can't even agree on basic facts as half of the electorate or around half the electorate is burrowed deep into this hyperpartisan echo chamber, how do we actually fight back? Is it as simple as creating something akin to PSAs from the Ad Council like they used to do for tobacco? Or, you know, is there something else that we actually need to do to accomplish this? Because knocking out the big lie is really important for American democracy. One way, and I said it earlier in the show, let's stop calling it the big lie and let's call it, you know, a failed attempt to overthrow our democracy. Okay? An attempt to, that's what the Republicans are about. They want to end our democracy. Let's keep saying that out loud and keep showing the footage and keep saying this is an attempted overthrow of our democracy. And look, we live in a media fragmented world now where people get their media bespoke and it's a problem. 
the good news is that the demographics are on the side of the good guys. You know, I mean, it's just it's it's heading that direction. The Republicans know that. And that's what they they know. The only way they can win now is by cheating and steal. But it's a problem. You know, it's a problem with our media system right now. It's a it's a pro- look. There's been steps to help it, obviously, you know, banning him from places and, and Facebook and, and Twitter taking some responsibility. And so a lot of it has to do, I believe, also with reform for some from the social media companies that you know, they, they need to be put under the same scrutiny. You can't go on CBS or you can't go on MSNBC and just say anything you want. You can't you get sued and an average you, you, you can't do it. It's got to, in a commercial. You can't just say anything you want and put it on uh, CBS. They, you can't, I can't come on and say, I have to, if I'm selling laundry detergent, I can't say, oh, it gets your clothes five times faster if it doesn't. I mean, they'll, they'll throw the ad off the air. They, they won't accept it. Yet, untraditional media companies, the Facebooks of the world, want to accept ads that we know are false. So there's got to be more accountability for these for these outlets. So there needs to be reform for the social media platforms, and that's certainly one step that has to happen also. Donnie, again, being the marketer genius that you are, and I've seen you do some oh, I've yes, seen genius, you do some yes. genius stuff over the years. If you were creating a PSA to knock out the big lie, <laughs> how would it go? You know, all you can do is keep repeating the facts that You make it, you put it back in their ears that 60 judges, including many Donald Trump appointed judges, said that there was this was a fair and free election. The Justice Department, Donald Trump's Justice Department said it was a it was a fair and free election. It has been no question. This is not only a lie. This is a failed coup attempt to overthrow democracy. Don't let it happen. Protect democracy. I mean, that's it. I don't know where else to go with it. You know, uh, you, you got to stick to the facts and you've, you've got to but you got to keep coming back to that. This is not my opinion, what I'm saying. This is what all a lot of Trumpers, the people who put who Trump put in office, who gave power to did their homework and saw that this election was fair. And who do you think then would be best suited to deliver the message? Because we certainly know if Joe Biden or Kamala Harris come out and say it, eh, it's partisan. So if any of the high-ranking Republicans or Democrats come out and say something, obviously everybody knows that it's partisan. Like, who could do it? I mean, you know, as many times as you've said it on television, as many times as Joe Scarborough has said it on television. No, I mean, or look, Mika, yeah, I mean, it's not going to... Here's the problem. You have somebody in the Republican Party, you have Liz Cheney who came out and said it. What do they do? They got rid of her. So right now, we have a problem without a solution. You know, if you have one side that just does not want to hear the truth, does not accept the truth, no matter how it's laid out in front of them, there's a limited to things that you can do. And, and hopefully you win when you have a mat. You, hopefully there's more people in this country that believe in the truth than don't. I mean, it just, that's it. And if it ever changes, and if there's ever a majority of people in this country that just say, fuck it. I don't care right and wrong. I don't care what's true or not. I just want my side with no repercussions. And there are more people that line up that way. We got a problem. But I believe in that we are a decent country, a decent people. And I believe in the end, good wins, wins out. And I believe good will continue to win out. I really believe that with all my heart and soul. Where do you think, last question for you, where do you think Trump's legacy ends up in the books, in the annals of history? The worst, most evil president we've ever had. The, the guy that tried to take the house down. That is, a, this will be a history lesson of what our democracy is about, how it was built with checks and balances, the Madisonian democracy, so that when somebody like this shows up, a would-be dictator, they can't do it. 
and somehow the system is held to date. And that's an example. So this is, he is our version of a Mussolini uh, or, or, Aguan, or a, uh, a, a Putin or any of the other dictators. He tried to ter- become a dictator in our democracy and he was repelled in the end. And he'll go down as one of the, like one of the great, um, the great American bad guy of all time. I guess that's probably why, that's you legacy. know, this just came to my mind. I don't hear anything about a Trump presidential library. And I guess there'll probably never be one simply based <laughs> upon what it one. is that you just said. What are you going to put in there? You're going to put, you know, this, photos this. of the January 6th insurrection, him going down there the escalator will. saying all Mexicans are rapists and racists. There Could you be. imagine? Maybe, maybe. Maybe you'll have maybe you'll have a clan section to it or something. I don't know, but I don't, I don't know, Michael. <laughs> well, Donnie, thank you. Hey, this was fun, Listen, buddy. Thank I you so it. much again. Really looking forward to your upcoming podcast on brand. I recommend it to all of my listeners, Donnie. I hope to see you really soon for a walk. And um, stay safe, my friend. Thank you, buddy. This was great. Continued success with the podcast. Thank buddy. you, buddy. Thanks, brother. And now for today's mea culpa. After speaking with Donnie. I am reminded about how much ruin and destruction has been caused by Donald J. Trump. It's actually quite amazing when you step back and coldly analyze what he has done. He has managed to hijack the entire modern GOP and bend it to his will while brainwashing an entire portion of the electorate to believe absolutely in a man who has betrayed them time and time and time again. The GOP now exists completely and totally in his image as a cult of personality. Not to overplay the connections, but we have entered a new era of fascism. Can you imagine what's going to happen should the GOP take back the House with a MAGA agenda and a party run by a disgraced and unstable former president? It's unprecedented and dangerous. We're playing a game of chicken right now, but can't see what's on the other side. We're hoping that there are more moderate suburban voters than there are MAGA diehards who will run away from the prospect of a rogue Congress commanded by a fucking madman and potential felon. Trump is playing his own game of chicken with the GOP, forcing out these moderates as a way of maintaining and consolidating power. A MAGA-controlled House of Representatives will be less likely to want to look into January 6th or anything that shines a negative light upon their dear leader. It also gives Trump leverage when it comes to House oversight and investigations. What's at stake and why this is all happening is becoming increasingly clear. The 2022 midterms will be a second chance at bat for Trump, as well as the MAGA agenda. Should they take the House, expect all progress within the Biden administration to fucking stop. It will be a giant step backward from where we got and where we are going and creates a battle for the soul of this nation and the future of our democracy. Trump is a dangerous and wounded animal just waiting to lash out and strike. The same goes for his constituency. They've done it once and they'll do it again, folks. 2022 is when this will all go down. We need to be absolutely prepared. And thanks for listening. Maya Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. 
Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa. Nothing but the truth. Hey, movie lovers. Who needs a theater when you have Pluto TV? Grab your popcorn and your streaming device because free movies are here. Pluto TV is your home for movies. Great movies are playing anytime in over 20 exclusive movie channels of action, horror, rom-coms, and more. Watch hits like Saving Private Ryan, Pretty in Pink, and Charlie's Angels all for free. No signups, no fees, no contracts, ever. Download the free Pluto TV app on any device. (laughs) 